2 Peter chapter 3, and um, we'll read a few verses here. So I mentioned this this morning, and uh, we'll be doing this, uh, six services, six messages on the Bible. Now, we often preach what we all ought to every time preach from the Bible. Sometimes we need to preach about the Bible. Now, we're still going to preach from the Bible. We're going to preach from the Bible about the Bible. And uh, we need just to learn uh, what an amazing, amazing book we have. And that's a bit what we're going to talk about this evening. So the title here is just how to choose a Bible version. There are so many Bible versions. There's hundreds, hundreds of versions of the Bible in English. So how do you pick the right one? Um, some of us have um, multiple versions. We've got many versions that, uh, that you could choose from. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You, you are a, a free agent before God. And I, don't you love that? The... the, the the priesthood of the believer is a Bible doctrine, which means you answer to God for your, for your decisions. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what I think you should do, but you're going to have to make that decision on your own. Um, but I want to help you through it. I want to guide you through it. Uh, I, was in the, I was in a Christian bookstore several years ago, and I was looking for something. I forget exactly what I was looking for. Every once in a while, I'll go in there and go look at the clearance table and just see what's on, on sale. And um, I was in there, and I heard this conversation. A pastor came in to the Christian bookstore. He may have been a new pastor. I'm, I'm not sure. But a pastor came in and asked the young lady that was working there. She's probably in her early 20s, something like that. And he asked her, so I'm a pastor of a church which Bible do you recommend that I get? It shocked me. It shocked me. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a confusing thing. And the, the young lady took her to the most popular section. And, um, and this is the, these are the best sellers. And, and there's lots of different options. This is the one if you want to, uh, this, uh, this type of uh, uh, response. This is the one that if you want this type of a reading, if you want it to be. And I don't remember all the, all the details, but I just remember her showing him around all the, the different sections there. This is a question we've all got to answer. Which Bible do I use? Which Bible is the best one for me? Which one's the right one? As we uh, gave you this morning, the philosophy of the new versions of the Bible basically can be summed up like this. We don't have a perfect Bible. That's basically, there's two parts of it. The first one, we do not have a perfect Bible or a perfect Bible does not exist. If you ask or if you watch interviews, if you listen to um, them, them uh, scholars teach on this, you will hear this over and over and over. The Bible is the inspired Word of God in the original languages. But we don't have, not in the original languages, but in the original manuscripts. In the original manuscripts, the Bible was inspired. We talked about that this morning. Basically what that is saying is this. When God gave us the Bible, when it was originally written down, it was perfect. When John wrote the book of John, it was perfect. When Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, it was perfect. But that's the only time it was ever perfect. And since then, we have lost the perfection. We've lost the perfect Word of God, and it does not exist anymore. That's the philosophy. So we don't have it. We did have it, but we don't have it anymore. And because of that philosophy, the, the floodgates have been opened, and so many versions of the Bible are being sold to us. They're being marketed to us. Um, about every, uh, it's probably sped up now, but about every six months or so, 
a new Bible will come out. A different publishing company will decide, we want to publish a Bible. The Bible's the best-selling book of all history. If you're going to get in on that, you've got to publish a Bible. You've got to copyright it. You've got to print it. And then maybe you can get in on the biggest-selling item or book in all of history, which is the Bible. And a lot of that has to do with the money that can be made on it. A lot of it has to do just with the devil trying to get in and, and cause confusion which is what he did ever, we mentioned this this morning, ever since the Garden of Eden, and he questioned the Word of God, he contradicted the Word of God, and then he changed the Word of God. We see the pattern, we see how he works. And I want to preach this evening, and I want to give you some details this evening about the texts of the Word of God. Where did our Bible come from? How do we know we have, in the King James Version of the Bible, how do we know we have the perfect Word of God. I think it's a fair question to ask, and I want to help to answer that this evening. First of all, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 3. Look at this as we read through verse number 9. Um, I think the Bible got it wrong here. I think instead of saying scoffers, it should have said scholars, but it's, it's close. Okay, so no, that was a joke. The Bible didn't get it wrong. But so many scholars these days are actually scoffers. And uh, you, can, uh, you can switch those up in your mind as, as you see that they match. Okay, so uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. Scoffer is somebody who criticizes, who mocks, uh, who doubts, who causes doubt in others. There shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, look at this question, where is the promise of His coming? Now, where would the promise of His coming be? That would be in the Word of God. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they, I love this phrase, willingly are ignorant of. I heard somebody say that means they're dumb on purpose. Willingly ignorant of. That by the Word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, talking about creation, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now it's talking about the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, look at this next phrase, by the same word, which word? The word of God, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning, what are those next two words? His promise. Where do we find His promise? In His Word. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to turn to Jesus Christ and get saved. But scoffers question the Word of God. Where is the promise of His coming? Scoffers are willingly ignorant of the Word of God. Willingly ignorant. God created everything by His Word. We see that there, by the Word of God, the heavens were of old. And God keeps His creation going by His Word. The heavens and earth, we read that, which are now by the same Word are kept in store. And God will keep His Word, even though scoffers doubt it. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. So what, there's a lot about God's Word there, but what I want you to know for this lesson tonight is this. I want you to see this again in verse number 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. And then the Bible goes on to talk about the Word of God. In the last days, 
There will be scoffers, people that mock, people that doubt, people that cause other people to doubt, people that criticize the Word of God. In the last 150 years or so, scholarship has raised up a generation of preachers who do not believe the Bible. Let me go back just a little bit to help you understand this. I mentioned this morning, but I'll give you the dates here. Um, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto in 1848. All right, so 1848, then you got 1948, we're to 2022 now. So 150, 170 years there. Charles Darwin published The Origin of Species in 1859. So you've got the Communist Manifesto, you've got The Origin of Species. Westcott and Hort compiled a Greek text of the New Testament in 1881. All of this is coming at the same time that we would call the New Enlightenment period in our world. This new scholarship rises up, and all of these things, communism and evolution, and then a new Greek New Testament. We'll go into more of the details how they did that, but they basically ignored a 95% of the manuscript evidence. They ignored all of that. And based on a small sliver of manuscript evidence, they rewrote the Greek manuscript and it became the new Greek text for almost all. I can't say all because I haven't looked at every single one, but most likely all of the new versions of the Bible came from a new Greek text, which happened to come onto the scene right about the same time as the Communist Manifesto and the Origin of Species. Isn't that interesting? The American Standard Version was the first major American Bible revision, and that happened in 1901. So from the time that the King James Bible was printed, as far as I'll go back, there were other um, um, translations going back further than that, but let's just say from that time, 1611, until 1901, the King James Bible, what, this is, we're talking almost 500 years. The, the King James Bible was the, the, the Bible in English. And then about the same time as the Communist Manifesto and the Origin of Species and the New Greek New Testament, the new Bible version started coming out. I want to go back a little bit and I want to ask this question. How did we get the Bible? How did we get it? Well, I'm going to give you some verses for it, and I'm going to give you some thoughts, and hopefully it'll be something that you can... Here's, here's why I want to give you this. If you ever talk to somebody about how we get the Bible, they're going to have all kinds of different answers for you. They're going to say, oh, we can't trust the Bible. People wrote that. That's just a, a book written by people. Well, maybe God gave it to us, but over thousands of years, it, it, uh, it's been changed. Well, I want to go through that. I want to give you some thoughts. In the, New, in the Old Testament... God emphasized the importance of every word of God. I'm going to give you some Bible verses. We looked at some of them this morning, but I want you to go ahead and look at them. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. This is Old Testament. This is Scripture. This is the Word of God speaking about the Word of God. And I know what you would say if you're trying to prove something. That would be circular reasoning. But what we're doing here is we're going back by faith to the Word of God. If you're saved tonight, you got saved because of faith in the Word of God. Let me, let me tell you, um, help you understand that. If you believe in a man named Jesus that came to this earth, died on the cross, 
was buried and rose again. You believe that because of the word of God. The same faith that you are trusting to take you to heaven, the same faith that you believe um, in for salvation, you believe in God by this faith, that's the same faith that you're going to have to use to trust that God gave you the word of God because the Bible is the one that tells us that. So in the Old Testament, God made a big emphasis, or he emphasized the importance of every single word of God. So Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, the Bible says this, every word of God is, what's that next word? Pure. Every word of God is pure. That's not saying every word of God, like the word of God being a Bible. It's not saying that every word of God, like the KJV and the NLT and the NIV and the NSC. I think is that it's not saying that every single version of the Bible is true. It's saying that every word, every word of Scripture is pure. So that was the Old Testament. God made a big deal about that. In the New Testament, Jesus emphasized the importance of every word of God. We read this this morning. The devil was tempting Jesus. Jesus responded with Scripture, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, This is Jesus talking, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, you may know the next two words, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So here's what we're seeing. In the Old Testament, God emphasized every word of Scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus emphasized every word of Scripture. Jesus didn't say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every thought that proceedeth out of the mind of God. No, he said every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God spoke, we'll see this in 2 Timothy if you want to turn there. God spoke every word of the Bible. Every word of the Bible spoken by God. How do we get the Bible? Well, God emphasized every word in the Old Testament. Jesus emphasized every word in the New Testament. And then we see that God gave every word from his mouth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. The word is inspiration. It means breathed out. All scripture, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and then verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means he said it. He breathed out the words. You may hear the words God breathed. The God breathed scriptures. The God breathed inspiration. That's, that, that's what uh, that, that word means, breathing out. Whenever you talk, you are breathing out. You try to talk without breathing out. You can't. God, so, so you understand what this means. The inspiration of God, all scripture given by inspiration of God, means God spoke every word and is profitable, all scripture profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. How did we get the Bible? Well, God spoke every word. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 now. 2 Peter chapter 1, how did we get the Bible? How is it that God gave us His words? That's an amazing thought, just to think about the creator of the universe, the one who spoke, and He said, let there be light, and there was light. That same God said, I want to give you my words, so He spoke His words so that we would have them. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse number 21. The Bible tells us how we got the word of God in Scripture. The Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't a man's idea. 
It wasn't a man's um, a plan. Not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. That would be like Elijah. That would be like Isaiah. Um, this would be like, like Daniel. This would be like Moses. Uh, go, going back, I'm thinking of the, the people that wrote parts of the scriptures, Jeremiah. Um, then, then you've got the, the prophets. Holy men of God, the Bible says, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God spoke every word, the Bible says. And the Bible says that these holy men, these prophets, these people that God used, the Bible says they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, who is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is God. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. So in the Old Testament, God emphasized every word. In the New Testament, Jesus emphasized every word. Jesus is God. You, you see that connection there. So the entire Bible, God emphasized every single word. And then we see that God spoke every word of the Bible. And then we see that the Holy Ghost moved upon these holy men of God and they spake as the Holy Ghost moved upon them. They said what God gave them to say. Now, the original pieces of paper that the holy men of old wrote the words of God on are called original autographs. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a step into, into history just for a little bit. These original autographs are called original because they're the first. All right, we're going deep here. Are, are, are you ready? You got your thinking hats on? All right, they're called original autographs, original because they're first autographs, because they are written by hand. How many of you, somebody has ever come to ask for your autograph? Yeah, me neither. However, this morning, right outside our front door, somebody walked up to one of our members and asked, you were there, weren't you, Brother Brett? And he asked, it wasn't Brother Brett. And he asked him, it was, uh, it was Brother Michael Buchanan. And uh, how many of you, you, you saw this happen? And he walked out this morning and asked him, Mr. Clean. And he said, can I have your autograph? And he gave it to him. And I said, nobody's ever asked me for my autograph. He said, I take care of my fans. And an autograph is something that somebody writes, right? So the original autograph is the very first handwritten copy of the Word of God. They're called original autographs. The 66 original autographs that make up the 66 books of the Bible, listen to this, have never been in the same place at the same time. Now, this is going to blow your mind here. 66 different books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those. They have never been in the same place. Those original autographs were not in a book. They were not in a scroll. They were not piled up. They were not in the, the, the same little filing thing that's, that opens and closes like that. They... They were not in the same filing cabinet. They were not in the same building. They were never in the same church or, or, or a cave or, or anything. They have never been together. If any of the original autographs... I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. The Bible as a book, actually, has never existed in the original. So for somebody to say, we believe the Bible in the original manuscripts... We've got a problem here. Because there never was a Bible in the original manuscripts. There were original manuscripts. And eventually, copies of the original manuscripts uh, were, were put together, called canonized, into the, the Bible. What we call in the Bible meaning, meaning book. But those originals were 
never together. The collection of 66 books that make up the Bible was compiled long after the originals had been lost or destroyed. 302 A.D., a Roman emperor came on the scene and he ordered the destruction of all Scripture. Most likely, if the autographs had lasted that long, those original autographs originally written by hand by um, Peter and John and Paul, if they had lasted 300 years or 100, 100, 290 years, whatever that was, um, they would have been gone at this time. They would have been destroyed. If they had been kept in a church, if they had been kept someplace for safety, the Roman Empire ordered all Scripture destroyed. So that means the original autographs have not existed for at least 1,700 years. That means if we believe that the only inspired Word of God was in the originals, the God's Word has not existed on planet Earth for over 1,700 years. We know that's not true. We proved that this morning, and I've got a few verses on that this evening as well. If we believe the inerrant Word of God only existed in the original manuscripts, we've got to admit we don't have a reliable Bible today. But that's not true. I'm going to give you these verses fast because I gave them to you this morning. God promised to preserve His Word. Isaiah 48, the Bible says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Mark 13, 31, the Bible says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Not just one verse about this, but over and over. Uh, Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, that's even the parts of the letters, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Psalms 12, 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Talking about the words of God will be preserved forever. 1 Peter 1.24, the Bible says, For all flesh is as grass, kind of like Isaiah said in Isaiah 48, For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Luke 16.17, Jesus said, It's easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. He said, Jesus said this, It would be easier to destroy the world then it would be to destroy the Word of God. We have God's promise that the very words that God spoke are somewhere in the world. Not just the best rendering that modern scholarship can provide. Modern scholarship is going to tell us we don't have the perfect Word of God, but we'll do our best to give you the closest thing we can get to it. There's some really big problems with that. We're not going to go into those tonight. But one of the big problems is this. That means they're choosing which words are the right words and the wrong words. What if they get one wrong? What if the, the word of God that you're holding in your hand, what if some of the words are the words of God and some of the words aren't the words of God, but which ones are which? which maybe, maybe the ones about salvation aren't the words of God. Maybe they got those wrong. We can't just pick and choose some of the words of God and others. These ones I don't think are the words of God. We can't just pick and choose that. We've got to understand God gave us the Scripture, God inspired the Scripture, and God preserved the Scripture. And I want to show you that process, so I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. So first of all, if God said 
that we have His words, we simply need to believe it. If God told us He would preserve His words, that ought to be good enough for us. The same God that created and inspired the words, and most, most Christians would agree and they would say, yes, God gave us His words. Oh, what a miracle that was. He gave us His very words, inspiration. Those same ones believed God was powerful enough to give us His words, but God isn't powerful enough to protect or preserve His words. There's a problem there because the same God that gave us his words is powerful enough to preserve his words. If he could say, let there be light and there was light. If he could, and the Bible says, and he made the stars also, billions and billions. If he's powerful enough to do that, I promise you he's powerful enough to do what he said and preserve his words. So here's the process. God spoke his word. And one of the Old Testament prophets or one of the New Testament writers wrote down each word that God said. I want to prove to you, and I believe I can, that we have the exact, perfect, unchanged words of God in the King James Version of the Bible. I'm going to give you several points. I'm going to give you several steps and show you how that has happened. And I believe that. I believe with all my heart that I am looking at a perfectly preserved English translation of the Word of God. I want to give it to you. You may have never heard this or put it all together like this, but I want you to think through this. So when God spoke His Word to the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament writers, that was called the original autograph. They wrote it by hand. There was no typewriters. They, either they wrote it by hand or they spoke it to the person, like the secretary that was there with them, and that person wrote it by hand. But it was given to them directly by God. Number two, this is a step. Step one was the original autograph. The second step, the original autograph was given to the group that God wanted it to go to. Okay? In the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was written to a group of people called Israel. God gave Moses the words, wrote, Moses wrote the words, and that was given to Israel. Um, okay, in the, the New Testament, I'm reading through Peter right now. First Peter. And he's writing to the strangers which are scattered abroad. And he goes through Pontus and Cappadocia and all these different, these different places. I believe Peter was writing this from Babylon. And, he's got, and he sends it to these Christians. So the original autograph given to the group that God wants it to go to. Maybe a local church. James writes to local church. John writes to the, uh, uh, to the uh, elect lady. Talk, I believe writing to a, to a local church there. So it was the, the original autograph given to the group that it was intended for. But there were more tribes, more synagogues, more local churches, more individuals that wanted a copy of the words of God. So what did they do? They made copies. They didn't have a Xerox machine. Does anybody even know what a Xerox machine is anymore? All right. So we used to call it a Xerox machine, but political correctness tells us we have to call it a duplicating machine or a copier machine, right? It's not a Q-tip. It's a, what, what, what is it? It's a cotton swab, right? So, so, but you understand when I say Xerox machine, it means a copy machine. Um, they didn't have any of that, so they had to write it by hand. And then other churches and individuals and groups wanted a, a copy of the scriptures. So what did they do? They made copies of the copies and they would write those copies by hand. So the copies of the autograph was made, and then the copies of the manuscripts were made. The, the copies of the manuscripts, they're written by him. The cop, there's the autograph. That was the original autograph written by him. Then there were 
manuscripts. The manuscripts are also written by hand, copied by hand, letter by letter. I'll, I'll go through some of the details how they did that. The copies of the copies of the copies are made until everyone who wanted a copy had a copy. Sometimes it wasn't the entire Bible copied. 1,189 chapters, that's a lot of words. And when you're writing it by hand, sometimes it was just the, the letter uh, to the Romans. It was Paul's letter to, uh, to Timothy, and it would be copied and, and, and passed out. Copies and co of copies are made. By the time that the copies of the manuscripts had been distributed all over the world, the original aut autograph may or may not still be in existence. That original autograph has been handled a lot. It's been passed around a lot. It's been read a lot. Um, and, and it may have been, it was written on animal skins. It was written on papyrus, uh, um, like a squished together fibers. And, and it may not have lasted, but the copies are the exact same letters, the exact same words, in the exact same place on the page as the original was. The original autograph was probably worn out from being read and copied so many times. Now, the copies that were proven to be good copies were received by the local churches. The copies that uh, were written and had mistakes in them, I'll tell you what, what happens to those in just a second, but the, the copies that were received by the local churches were called the, or known as, the received text. Or in Greek, the textus receptus. Why? Because the churches, saved people, would receive that, and it didn't have the mistakes in it, it didn't have false doctrines in it, they would receive it. The copies that were rejected because of errors were set aside. Now, there's a couple of different ways errors got into these copies. Sometimes the errors got into the copies just by accident. Somebody would make an error, a scribe would make an error, um, but, but that would be found and set aside. The reason it wasn't destroyed was because it had the name of God in it. So it wasn't destroyed. It's kind of like I see an old tract lying around. I have, I have a difficulty throwing that tract away. It's got the gospel in it. I have a tough time with that. But, but so it's got the name of God in it. And so they, they didn't throw it away. They just they set it aside. And they were set aside so everyone knew not to make copies of it in the future. The received text was supposed to have copies made of it. The, the other set aside, not supposed to have copies made of it. In 1516, a Bible scholar named Erasmus realized that there was a need uh, for a printed copy of the Bible. The printing press had been invented. And it, this, this printed copy needed to be printed in the original languages that it was written in. So he began gathering these received texts. The texts that over the years had been passed down, received by the church, is not set aside. And he collected as many handwritten manuscripts as he could find. 1516. You've got to remember, this is during the Spanish Inquisition. This is during the Middle Ages. This is during the time when Christians are being killed for what they believe, for, uh, for, 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 for teaching uh, salvation by grace and not through an organization or a church. He gathered these texts, the received text. He discovered that 95% of the manuscripts contained identical words with each other. Identical words. 
These manuscripts were from the received text. And since there was such an overwhelming majority that agreed with each other identically, they were called the majority texts. Maybe you've heard of that before, the majority texts. The other 5% did not agree with the received text. Okay, so give you some numbers. 5,200 manuscripts make up this 95%. They all agreed with each other, identical with each other. 5% would be about 250. About 250, 260 manuscripts didn't agree with the received text, didn't agree with this majority. But listen, they also didn't agree with each other. They were corrupted. They, were, they had errors in them. They were laid aside. They were called the minority texts. So you've got the majority text, which is often also called the received text or the textus receptus. Then you've got the minority text, and that is the, these rejected texts. So Erasmus took the most legible copies of the majority text and used them, or the received text, or text receptus, and he used them to finish this project of putting together a, a printed copy of the Bible in the original languages. He put those all together. The other manuscripts, he, he used the, the most legible ones. He, the other ones were distributed to museums, libraries, universities. He used the newly invented printed press to typeset the New Testament. The new printed copy, listen to this, was letter for letter and word for word identical to the received text or textus receptus that it was copied from. This is in Greek. So every letter, every word, exactly the same as it had been copied and copied and copied and copied and now still the exact same letters and exact same words. It was called the Texas Receptus, which means received text in Latin. In, uh, from 1516 and forward, the Bible was no longer limited to copies by hand. Now, the Texas Receptus was used to translate the exact words of the Bible from Greek now to other languages. So, are, are you following this? The original autograph written by the person that God gave the exact words to. That, a copy was made that was called a manuscript. Copies of copies of copies eventually came to, and, and you got to think about this. In 302 AD, the, the command came to destroy all of Scripture, but still, all of this made it through that, made it through um, the, the Catholic, the Spanish Inquisition, and, and all of that, and you still got 5,200 manuscripts that became the received text. Texas Receptus was used in 1534. Martin Luther translated the Texas Receptus into German. In 1604, a group of brilliant English scholars began to translate the Texas Receptus into English. Eventually became what we call the King James Bible or the authorized version. Here's what they did. They translated every Greek word of the Texas Receptus into every English word. And they finished in 1611. The King James Version of the Bible is a word-for-word translation of the perfectly preserved Greek and Hebrew words that God gave to men. I could go through and give you some of the details. I may do it just, just very briefly. Just understanding the detail and the amount of accuracy that was required for that to happen. There were a lot of texts, the scribes, who copied the originals. They used careful methods to make sure their copy was an exact replica of the original. Um, one example was this. The Jewish Masoretes would do this. 
they, they would write their manuscripts in a grid pattern. A grid, be, okay, so if you're familiar with a, a spreadsheet, you've got, you've got the rows going this way, you've got columns going this way, lots of little squares. So these, these scribes would, would look at the original, that, well, not the original, but the copy that they were copying from, and then on the page that they were writing, every letter had to go into the exact same place on the grid as the one that they were copying from. Every single letter had to be identical. Every letter was on the same spot of the same page in every copy. Listen to this. If one letter was misplaced, they'd throw away the whole manuscript. You know how frustrating that would be? You've got a whole page, but even just one letter being misplaced, the whole thing would be thrown away. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It's something that they took extremely, extremely seriously. Not one letter changed from its original form. They took their word so seriously that when a scribe came to the name of God, he would stop, wash his body, and change pens before writing God's name on the page. I just don't know how long it took to get through some of these chapters where I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. Every single time. It was... was, Accuracy was that big of a deal. Reverence was that big of a deal. Uh, the New Testament copyists did, did something similar. One method was to write the manuscript one letter at a time and read the letter out loud before writing it on the page. So not just, run, not just say a word and write the word, but every single letter. Read the letter, say it out loud, write it on the page. Another method was to demand that if one mistake was made on a page, the page would be thrown away and he'd start over on that page. If the person copying it made three mistakes, he'd either have to start over from the beginning or he'd be replaced. When a bad copy was made, it was laid aside. Less than 5% of all the existing manuscripts were bad copies. Sometimes it was on purpose, and we'll give you that next week, and how um, the, the origin and Clement, um, a Catholic university, basically Catholic uh, Bible college tried to change the doctrines. We'll get to that. Some of it's just just um, type typographical errors, writing errors. But the church has only received the manuscripts that were pure. The received manuscripts were in complete agreement with each other. The five percent of manuscripts that disagree with the majority also disagree with each other. The five percent were results of errors, some of intentional corruption. They were rejected by the churches. The methods of copying the manuscripts. The complete agreement of the received manuscripts, the acceptance of manuscripts by the churches proved that the manuscripts were perfect copies of the originals. That's just one test to, to help you understand. The, the Word of God that we have, the King James Version of the Bible that we read, is the exact, the, the very pure, the very preserved words of God all the way from God when God spoke to those holy men of old, and they wrote it down. People are going to try to convince you otherwise. People are going to try to say, but that's a long time. A lot of mistakes could be made. I'm going to skip a whole lot, but I've got three lines I'm going to finish with, and that's this. No other piece of literature has ever been translated with as high a level of care for its accuracy as the King James Bible. In our next, next message as we preach, I'm going to give you the details on how the King James translated. It's just, it's just amazing what they did. The King James Bible is the most carefully translated book in the history of the world, in fact. 
No other Bible version or work of any literature even comes close to the amount of detail and accuracy given to the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. I believe we have a Bible. I believe we still have an accurate, inspired, infallible, preserved Word of God. If we didn't, what's the point of us believing anything? If we didn't have an every word Bible, how would we know which words were God's words and which words weren't God's words? I'm not quite sure how to end this up, but I, don't, I know I need to. I, I, I hope to help you uh, maybe increase your faith that you do have the Word of God. I want to help you to be able to make a decision on which version of the Bible you're, you're going to choose to, to read out of, study out of. We'll spend some more time over the, the next few weeks uh, fleshing that out just a little bit. Father, I pray that you would use the message preached tonight. Again, a different style. Uh, of message, mostly teaching. But Lord, I believe this is incredibly important. I believe you put on my heart to teach through this, this series, this lesson on, on the Bible. Um, we're, we're just absolutely under attack by um, satanic forces trying to cause confusion and trying to get us to use something that we think is a Bible but is not your words. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to understand that, to be able to see that. Um, I pray that you would help our, our uh, people not to be confused by, by so many of the other things that are out there. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live for you. I pray that you'd help us to um, spend our lives uh, trying to accomplish your work and your will and making a difference for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us during this invitation time to make those decisions as you put them on our heart. I'm going to ask you to stand. Piano's going to play. I don't know what decision God would have you to put on your heart. Maybe you're trying to decide what Bible to use. Maybe you would just ask God, God, would you help me to, with an open heart, make the right decision? Help me with an open heart to choose your word, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Help me to choose right. Maybe you could just thank God for His care in giving us His Word. That's just an amazing, amazing truth that the Creator of the universe would give us His Word. Would give us the, the, the very words of God. That just, that just blows me away. The same God that created everything in six days said, I've got a lot I want to tell you. I'm going to write it down so you know. I'm going to tell you about sin. I'm going to tell you about hell. I'm going to tell you about heaven. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you how you can be saved. That's just amazing. No wonder it's been under attack. The devil doesn't want people to get saved. The devil doesn't want people to go to heaven. What a, what a God, what a Savior, what a Bible. Maybe just thank Him for that this evening. Whatever decision God has put on your heart, maybe, maybe you've struggled through listening to the preaching on this. Maybe it's, it's difficult to hear because it's different than what you've heard before. I want to challenge you just to have an open heart and an honest heart between you and God and let Him, let him speak to your heart and 
Let him show you the right direction on this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to spend some time studying it and being able to study a bit tonight about what your word says about your word. I pray that you would help our people to have confidence that they have your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help our, our people to be able to live, the, the people of New Heights Baptist Church, to be able to live with confidence, knowing that what we are reading, every single word of it, is directly from your mouth and inspired through the centuries and preserved through the centuries so that we still have your word. Lord, what an amazing thing to be able to wake up every morning and read your very words. To be able to go to bed at night having just read your very words, the words from our Creator, the words from our Savior, the words from our loving Father. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask you to help us to live for you and please you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you a couple very quick announcements. Um, choir practice starts tonight, five minutes right after the evening service. Um, uh, make sure you get a music ministry expectations form, just so you know. Um, what's going to be expected of you if you join the choir. Uh, if you join the choir, we're going to ask you to, uh, to, to uh, make a commitment to, to step up in a, in a couple areas. Uh, some of there's like, like separation from the world and uh, uh, being faithful to services, things like that. So I wanted to make sure you get that. Get a music ministry expectation form. We have those in the back. And our first choir practice will be starting tonight. I want to say just a huge thank you to Joshua for working so hard through this summer, first of all, starting the ensemble, getting the practices going, starting the choir. We appreciate you doing that, Josh. We, we thank you for it, and um, thanks for, for the sacrifice that you're making. Okay, a couple more quick announcements. The Our Time Southwest Youth Conference is July 20th through 22nd. We have a sign-up sign sheets out in the foyer. People signed up today. We got some more people signed up, but we still have some open spaces that are very, very important. For example, if we don't get some more people to sign up for picking up the pizza to deliver, to deliver for dinner, uh, there's going to be a whole bunch of teens that just aren't going to get dinner. So we need to make sure that happens. Take a look out there if you can help with that. Um, teen time on Wednesday, uh, we're going to be meeting here. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have practice teen choir, and we're going to get our teens to help uh, getting ready for youth conference in some ways. Our next potluck is July 31st after the morning service. Put that on your calendar. The marriage retreat, September 16th and 17th. While it's still a ways off, get that on your calendar. That way nothing gets in the way of it. All right, Get a babysitter now. Get somebody to watch your pets now. Feed your turtle and your, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you take care of that so you can come to the marriage retreat. It will be in Rio Rancho. we got some details on that. Uh, the cost is only $70 per couple. It's um, not too far to get to. Uh, it's on Golf Course and Southern, I believe it's where it's going to be at. And there's an event center there that we're going to be using. It does not include overnight accommodations yet, but we're going to start working on that, see if we can get something set up, a special group for our church, something like that. All right, Patch Pirate Club, Pee Wee Club, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. We do need a bus driver. Pray for that. Um, we, we've been bringing a lot of kids to church. It's been exciting. A junior church had 31 people in it today. That is awesome. We really need to get some more folks involved in bringing people to church. Uh, we need some more bus drivers helping us out with that. Um, one more announcement, and that is we decided that on Saturday we need to have a, a church work day 
to get ready for the youth conference. So we'll start that at 9 o'clock Saturday morning. If you want to come help uh, get the, the grounds ready, we're going to pull some weeds, we're going to mow the lawn, we're going to clean windows, we're going to clean inside, we're going to clean outside. So for a few hours on Saturday morning, we'd love to have you come help. Help us get ready uh, to host a bunch of churches, a bunch of young people. We want to see people saved. Our theme is the call. We want to see people saved, young people saved. We want to see them answer God's call for their life. So let's do everything we can as a church to get ready for that. That'll be Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning. We'll have our work day. Father, thank you for this opportunity to spend some time with your people, um, to be able to teach on your word. If it wasn't for your word, we, we would know nothing about you. We'd know nothing about salvation. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you've inspired it, you've preserved it, you've given it to us. We don't deserve it, but what an amazing thing that we have. It, Lord, just to think of the millions, millions of people who have died because of your word, uh, struggling to, to, to pass out your word, to tell people about you, to teach your word. What an amazing thing it is that we have it. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you help us to live for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.